0: Welcome to episode 99 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. In news this week broke that Vodafone and 3UK are discussing a possible merger. The question that I have is what would that mean for 5G in the United Kingdom? Both Vodafone and 3UK represent the third and fourth largest operators in the United Kingdom. And um, and if we sort of look at what happened with T-Mobile and Sprint, the consolidation of Spectrum and their success and achieving a lot of milestones in the US like first to standalone and that sort of thing, it could be quite compelling. Uh, There have been pundits that have been discussing the need to consolidate the operator footprint within the United Kingdom, but I'm wondering, Anshul, if you have any insight here.
1: Yeah, I I think um, when you look at the size of somebody like BT, who also um, is a a result of consolidation, um, I think that it's difficult for smaller operators like uh, CK Hutchinson's 3 or Vodafone to compete in the market in a way that their larger competitors can. Yeah. Um, So I think there's a reason for this consolidation. But ultimately, the biggest concerns with these kinds of mergers is mostly uh, a lack of competition and pricing for consumers. So I Mm -hmm. think um, the best way that this merger could move forward would be to um, ensure that prices will not go up on consumers. Um, You know, in the T Mobile scenario, you know, they've actually. Helped bring prices down as a result of their merger, right. um, but even they did raise some of their prices on certain things. Um, so I think it's uh, you know it's always a challenge, but it's important to make sure that consumers aren't hurt by this, um, and that this the goal with this merger is to improve consumer choice and competition, even if there is some consolidation.
0: Yeah, th- those are great insights. You know, the other thing that I think about is that there's been some very interesting sharing of CapEx with respect to RAN deployment uh, between Vodafone and 3 and, and other operators, which is quite interesting. And that might have been a portend to the news that broke this week. But um, it'll be interesting to see how this all uh, rolls out. There aren't a lot of details that are publicly available, but as things materialize, we'll definitely come back and share that on a future podcast. But Let's move to your first topic this week. And Qualcomm 5G summit occurred, and you wanted to go hit the highlights.
1: Yeah. So um, this week was a bit of a uh, disaster as far as events go. <laughs> right. um, every day there was another event. Yep. Um, you and I attended a MediaTek event the same day as a Qualcomm event. Right. Uh, after that it was Google I/O the next day, and then after that, you know, Samsung had their uh, 6G forum. So.
0: Intel Um, had their Now event that I attended in Dallas, and there was also a Juniper Summit as well. So it was, you're right.
1: That went to IBM.
0: It was an IBM. Yeah, IBM.
1: (laughs) And there was an SAP event on Monday. Um, So Qualcomm 5G Summit happened here in San Diego. And I think it was a little bit lighter than usual in terms of announcements. Uh, I think that might just be because of its timing. It's usually later in the year. Yeah. Um, and this year they kind of moved it up but um, what's interesting is it's very close to MWC so I feel like a lot of the announcements um, ha- happen at MWC um, but there are obviously some announcements that were still saved for this event and um, one of those was the announcement of uh, a new drone platform but it's it's really not just for drones it's actually for robotics in general Qualcomm kind of sees drones as a form of robotics. Yeah. So this, this platform is called the RB5. Um, And I, I kind of pressed them on this uh, and the pre briefings asking them, you know, what, what is the RB5 based on? Because um, all of Qualcomm's um, IP in in these adjacent 5G use cases are based on something from the mobile sector, you know? So is it a, Mm -hmm. Is it based on a Snapdragon 888 or is it a HN1? I didn't get a clear answer on that. Um, hopefully, I will soon. Um, but this RB5 platform is a 5G based uh, robotics platform. So it can enable 5G robots, drones, and anything else that would be considered a robot. Uh, and in addition to that, they did announce some new uh, X70 um, AI features um, for the X70 modem, which it already had announced at MWC. Mm-hmm. Um, but they added, um, some new features that will enhance coverage and improve battery life. Um, and in general, improve, um, the capabilities of the modem in, in, in software using AI. Um, one of those is called uh, Qualcomm transmit 3.0, um, which is a, um, The capability adds superior transmission across cellular Wi Fi and Bluetooth so it basically improves uplink performance and energy efficiency, and then they also showed off that the x70 modem uh, is the first to achieve. 5g millimeter wave standalone um, and they were able to do that with eight 100 megahertz millimeter carriers so eight carrier aggregation achieving 8.3 gigabits per second so. Um, that's kind of the big, the big key items that were announced uh, at the show, but they, you know, they talked about PCs, the metaverse, automotive, you know, all the different aspects of 5G that Qualcomm has expanded into outside of the smartphone.
0: Yeah, you know, and also I am pinning a blog that will be posting to the More Insights and in Strategy website. I'll also be sharing that on social media. I provide some insights into that robotics announcement that you were just mentioning, as well as a announcement on enabling OpenRAN with an operator in Vietnam. And um, also recap a podcast that we did with Qualcomm just prior to 5G Summit, where we go into how Qualcomm is enabling both VRAN and OpenRAN. And we've got some great guests from Vodafone uh, as well as AT&T and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. So stay tuned for that on my social media handle at Willtown Tech, and I'm sure our G2 and 5G handle will share that as well. But let me move to my second topic this week, and I'm actually going to take a topic that you would typically take because it deals with the metaverse, but Meta Platforms uh, is teaming up with AMD for an open RAN solution. The first question that came to my mind was, will this help or hinder 5G deployment? With another open RAN solution path, so the details are basically um, uh, Meta is going to leverage AMD's uh, Xilinx uh, UltraScale RF SoC, and this will be used in multiple um, EvenStar radio units. And we've talked we've talked about EvenStar in the past. It is a, uh, an initiative to you know broadly sort of drive uh, disaggregation in general around cellular infrastructure. And um, and this sort of follows a, a similar announcement with Marvel in 2021. So, I mean, AMD is uh, jumping into the game now. No surprise. Intel is in the game. Qualcomm is in the game. You know, I always talk about how innovation breeds, um, or actually, competition breeds innovation. So, this is likely a good thing. Just another flexible path to open rand. But wondering, since you're so focused on the metaverse and Meta, and by the way. Um, you know, Meta is sort of branding or positioning this uh, to be metaverse ready from a RAN perspective, but would love to get your insights.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure about Meta's role in stuff like Mm OpenRAN. You know, from what I understand, their capabilities in networking and infrastructure are mostly limited to advising um, operators on you know, how to optimize their networks for Meta's applications and Meta's you know, um, future applications. So currently video and social media, but future Metaverse and VR and AR. Um, I just think that um, I'm not really sure how much of this work will actually find its way into a commercial network. Yeah, um, which I think has been the challenge for Meta and uh, their connectivity business from the beginning. You right. know, they have their telecom infrastructure project, yep. um, but I'm not really clear on how much of that has actually yielded um, real changes in the way that operators deploy their infrastructure. So um, if anything, I think it's a good research project for them and the mm-hmm. industry. And, you know, hopefully they are solving some problems that others haven't solved yet. Um, or accelerating the, the rate of innovation. But um, <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure, one, what this really means for AMD in terms of, you know, shipping product. Yeah. Or for Meta platforms, how much this really changes what they're doing on their day-to-day. So yeah. um, it does sound like an interesting announcement, but I I because of Meta's place in the 5G um, infrastructure landscape, I'm not entirely sure um, that I would consider this as relevant as say, some other hyperscaler CSP Mm -hmm. um, running some, you know, other third-party applications.
0: Yeah, those are great insights. And you touched on Tip and, you know, before Facebook, you know, decided to create Meta and then have all the other companies like Facebook and Instagram and whatnot underneath, um, Facebook was very focused on tip, you know, and the original of tip was to reduce the cost of connectivity, making broadband more accessible on a global basis. So from my perspective, this is sort of a repositioning of what they were doing prior to sort of meta coming together. And they it's sort of a clever way, I think, to, um, have something to state about optimizing infrastructure around the metaverse, but time will tell. But let's move to your second topic this week and you mentioned this already But both you and I attended the Media Tech Analyst Summit and you wanted to provide your insights and I'm sure I will as uh, as well, but take it away.
1: Yeah, so this this event was a little bit of a hybrid of both public and NDA information. Obviously I won't be talking about the NDA information but some of those embargoes will lift at the end of the month and we will talk about them. That said, what we can talk about is that they did announce um, their AIoT platform, which um, didn't seem like it was necessarily focused on 5G yet, um, but does sound like something that they are going to have um, move and transition to 5G in the near future. Um, I wasn't actually very clear on, on that point, yeah. um, but in general, you know, this company has a lot of experience in IoT specifically, um, when you look at consumer applications. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the company transitions to a broader IoT business that incorporates enterprise. Um, I still think they have a lot of work to do in terms of meeting um, what enterprise requires of IoT applications. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, MediaTek has also done a very good job of showing that they can provide value in places where their competitors can't. Um, that's how they've been able to grow to the size that they are today. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes, but I also think it's still very early um, and I hope to see them um, build this out more and, 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 and invest more in developer ecosystem and capabilities.
0: You know, my big takeaway, because you have spent a lot more time with MediaTek in the past than I have, but um, my big takeaway was just, you know, number one, they're, they're not a value play. So my perception was strictly a value play relative to Qualcomm. They, to your point, I mean, they're, they're in a ton of consumer devices. I think they're like number one in TV smart TV integration, right? Um, and a lot of other, you know, you, like you mentioned, consumer And I was also impressed with the fact that they are also powering a lot of the fixed wireless access solutions, in particular T-Mobile's latest um, offering. And um, I think that's a great platform for them to build upon. But I did come away with the thought, and this was your conclusion as well on the IoT uh, end of things, that they are very, very consumer focused when compared to Qualcomm, Qualcomm is much more balanced when you look at what they're doing within the enterprise and within consumer. So those will definitely be areas they have to work on. But I was also blown away by their revenue growth over the last year. I mean, growing from 10 plus billion dollars to nearly $19 billion in revenue, they're obviously doing something right. So I believe any attack is someone to keep your eye on. You mentioned the IoT. Uh, you and I were in breakouts uh, around IoT. Bill Curtis, our IoT analyst, was, was also in attendance with us at the event. And you know, I asked Bill after the event, you know, your thoughts, and you know, Bill brings a lot of experience with respect to IoT, and he felt like they have great potential they've got a great platform, but to your point, they're gonna have to find ways to take that into uh, enterprise. One of the biggest opportunities obviously is, is industrial, massive IoT, and so time will tell, but I came away just with some misperceptions corrected, that this company and MediaTek has a lot of potential. So, but let's move to my third and final topic this week. And I wanna talk about ZTE. And my question is, are they on a slippery slope with respect to cellular infrastructure sales to Russia? Both Huawei and ZTE have been confronted uh, unequivocally and asked what their intentions are with respect to the Russian market, given the current geopolitical environment. Certainly companies like Ericsson and Nokia have stated very bluntly, that they are ceasing any sort of sales into the Russian market. Huawei basically uh, didn't acknowledge the question when they were confronted with it. The challenge with ZTE is that they incorporate a lot of US components within their infrastructure. And if we all remember, they got the death penalty a few years ago selling restricted technology to uh, countries of concern. And so that, from my perspective, they're on a slippery slope. They haven't acknowledged what they're doing. Could there be another death penalty coming? I don't know, what are your thoughts?
1: I think um, they're setting themselves up for failure. Yeah. Um, especially once you know, um, entity lists are created for, for Russian companies. Um, I think it's a matter of time until those happen because this war is still relatively new. Yeah. Um, and there's probably lots of conversations about how to cut off um Russian suppliers. So um yeah, I think I think this is a scenario where I think ZTE and Huawei both see an opportunity in the short term, but in the long term, um it's potentially very damaging. And um, you know, I, I think if Huawei and ZTE are doing business with Russian operators, they're probably doing it on a very uh, cash basis, right? Um, not not allowing for any credit or product to deliver until it is fully paid for.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, I think Russian operators are obviously very limited in what access, what hardware they have access to. So they'll take what they can get. Um, but the Russian infrastructure, you know. Isn't necessarily where it could be. And they still probably have lots of deployment to do um, mm-hmm. as the operators, like megaphone and stuff. Yeah. But um, I just think they're gonna struggle to roll out their 5G, even with help of Huawei and ZTE, which I I believe are probably gonna be very limited in how you know how they try to engage.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. One of the ways that sort of Huawei conquered the world was with their credit facilities that were backed by the you know, Chinese government. And I agree with you. I mean, a lot of those deals are gonna to have to be under the table when you look at just the devalu- the devaluation of the ruble and what's going on with the economy, with you know many countries around the world cutting off oil exports from Russia. Uh, a friend of mine once described Russia as just a, basically a big giant gas can <laughs> From a GDP perspective, and so that's putting a lot of pressure um, on their economy for obvious reasons. But yeah, you know, if Huawei continues to engage, they continue to dig themselves a hole with respect to their reputation on the world scene. And then ZTE, again, risks uh, a death penalty because they are using a lot of U.S. supply chain components in their infrastructure. So it'll be interesting to see how this all winds out. But let's move to your third and final topic. You want to talk about an OpenSignal report that just published.
1: Yeah, so uh, our good friend Ian Fogg, a uh, fellow analyst uh, at, at OpenSignal, um, published a, uh, a blog with lots of interesting data points uh, around the use of 5G um, for gaming versus public Wi Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, 5G millimeter wave blew everything out of the water. Um, But what was interesting was that um, in terms of gamer experience um, between December of 2021 and February of 2022, um, they were able to measure that 5G's experience was almost identical to home Wi-Fi and and better than public Wi-Fi. And if you look at the data, um, you know, 5G millimeter wave was obviously... 25 times faster than public Wi-Fi, but 5G was also five times faster than public Wi-Fi and faster than most people's home Wi-Fi. So giving people the ability to um, access faster speeds um, and and lower latencies will give people better gaming experience. Because one of the big problems with mobile gaming is mobile games are fairly large. Yeah. Um, if you want to download a game, a lot of times it will tell you you have to go to Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see with 5G becoming more prevalent and mid-band being more um, well deployed. I think you're going to see fewer games um, asking you to connect to Wi-Fi because there's, a, there's probably a possibility that when you connect to Wi-Fi, um, it'll be slower than, than staying on 5G to download those files. Um, but it, it was very interesting because... Um, 5G Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi infrastructure still hasn't really been upgraded to the point where it's more secure. Right. Um, unless it's Wi-Fi six, it's not as secure as 5G. Right. Um, and if you're doing microtransactions while gaming, you obviously want that to be a secure connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons why you would prefer to game over 5G. You know, and the thing is when it comes to gaming, um, once you've downloaded the big game itself. Um, gaming doesn't really use that much data anyways. You're actually much more sensitive about latency. And uh, 5G latencies are also very competitive, if not better than um, Wi-Fi. And I don't think there was any mention of latency in this report. Um, It was mentioned once, um, but there was no data on actual um, latency. But I believe their gamer experience index incorporates latency and jitter as well as packet loss. Um, so they were already saying that in terms of experience, 5G is better than public Wi-Fi, um, which does incorporate those metrics. But I think it would be interesting to look at um, public Wi-Fi latency alone and yeah. compare that to 5G for gaming because I have a feeling that um, you know mobile gamers be much more sensitive to latency than anything.
0: I totally agree with you. And you sort of touched on the whole notion of Wi-Fi. I think there are two factors that are driving um, the lack of performance with public Wi-Fi. One, to your point, most of the deployments are not going to be Wi-Fi 6. They're going to be older versions of Wi-Fi. So that's one thing. Wi-Fi 6 does deliver significant improvements, to your point, in security and latency. And I absolutely agree with you Low latency is the key to a better mobile gaming experience. Once we get to standalone 5G, that should be around the sub 5 millisecond level versus an older standard of Wi-Fi could be anywhere from 20 to 40 milliseconds, so quantum level difference in performance with respect to latency. And then the other issue with public Wi-Fi is oversubscription. And my experience when, you know, I'm out and about, whether I'm in my home base of Austin, Texas or whatnot, you know, there's so much uh, variability with respect to individual businesses that have deployed consumer grade routers versus city or county or municipal, you know, deployments of Wi-Fi and just sizing it correctly. And there's always going to be oversubscription challenges as well. So I think those are the two factors that um, kind of, you know, position Wi-Fi in a, in, a, in a worse light relative to 5G for mobile gaming. But um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, mean, yeah.
1: I also so, wanted to say, like, mobile devices like the Steam Deck are also very likely to increase, you know, mobile gamers wanting to play over 5G sure. and not Wi-Fi. And this device is actually Wi-Fi only, yeah. um, which I think is a... A pitfall, in the sense that, like, you can only game when you have Wi-Fi. Um, but I do think these these kinds of devices are going to become five G enabled
0: as well. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, you know, Apple with iPad is integrating five G into their devices as well, and we'll see more of that. And I think the other thing that you and I learned at the Media Tech Analyst Summit uh, was that they're they are focusing on growing that whole five G embedded notebook business as well. So that's another form factor. I mean. You're not necessarily going to mobile game. I mean, that's probably more casual, like, you know, in between flights and that sort of thing. But as device support grows, um, I think so will just the, the, the taxing on, on, uh, on Wi-Fi networks. So, but hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home?
1: Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Town
0: Tech and I'm at On Shell Sock. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.